All right. As they are making their way out the door, I'm going to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Exodus, chapter 6 and 7. We're going to be ending at the bottom of 6. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, uh, that is page 51. Uh, By the way, it's going to be on the screen behind me. But if you do not have a copy of God's Word that you feel that you can uh, read very well, um, that's put in the everyday language, and uh, you would like one, we use this version, the CSB. We believe it's very accurate. It's very reliable to the translation. And it's always good and our pleasure for it to be in your hands and ultimately in your heart. So please take that Bible. If you don't have one, it's our gift to you. These are not just decorations. These are not just to make us look holy. They're, they're for your use. And uh, we want to help you to grow in God's Word. But we're going to be looking at the very end of chapter 6. Our majority is 7 through 11. But chapter 6 gives us this uh, ending from what we talked about last week uh, with the confrontation. So before we get into it, let's stand and... Uh, Get into God's Word before we get into the message time. Because the message is meant to be centered on God's Word, not the other way around. So here we are, the ending of chapter 6. This is verse 26, excuse me, verse 28 of chapter 6 going into chapter 7. It says this, On the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, He said to him, I am The Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses replied, in the Lord's presence, since I am such a poor speaker, how will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord answered Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. You must say whatever I command you. Then Aaron, your brother, must declare it to Pharaoh so that he will let the Israelites go from his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you, but I will put my hand into Egypt and bring the military divisions of my people, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the Israelites from among them. So Moses and Aaron did this. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they went to speak to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh tells you, perform a miracle. Tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. But then Pharaoh called the wise men and sorcerers, the magicians of Egypt, and they also did the same thing by their occult practices. Each one threw down his staff, and and it became a serpent. But Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. However, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. Lord God, today as we read your word, as we study your word, may we be reminded it comes out of your heart, out of your voice. It it is a gift from you. And we have been invited to hear from you. We've been invited to, to know you. We've been invited to behold and see the demonstration of who you are and what you've done. So God, help us not miss out on this moment. Help us to to be 
acutely listening. Help us to be acutely aware. God, for those that have had strenuous nights and circumstances, help our eyes and our minds be alert so that we may see you in this moment and, and, and make the most of this divine appointment that you've invited us into. And God, may we also not only hear, but may it be something that leads us to trust you more and respond and follow. God, thank you for being the Redeemer. Show us what that means in the mighty demonstration of your power. Amen. You may be seated. So the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Exodus. We've, we've been looking at this, this, not this idea, but this central aspect of God's teaching that God alone is the Redeemer. Now, he uses his people to be his instruments, his means of communicating and making that deliverance known, that redemption available. He does that, but God alone is the Redeemer. And in a time where there's all kinds of, of, of unusual circumstances, in a, in a time where we as the church need to be reminded of our mission, we don't need to get on this whole pull up and buckle yourselves up by your own bootstraps and just do some busy work. We need to be reminded that God is the Redeemer and He has a purpose, His church, to be that means of it. So that we don't just go about with busy work trying to look holy, not trying to look appealing, trying to look like we're doing good things, But we are going to do good things as we're following his plan, that we see him and who he is and his plan. And so we want to always take time to get into God's word together, that that the messages that the time that we have in life groups is not just to be about just talking about what may be trendy, what may be on our mind, but really seeing, all right, God, this is on your heart. This is on your mind. This is what's important. This is your gift to me. And I want to know you as you want me to know you. And, and so when we get into God's Word, we see what it says and, and what it means and, and how it applies. And that's our whole goal when we spend time with the Word. Look at those aspects. Not to try to add our own little theories, but say, all right, God, this is, this is what it says and what it means. This is how it applies. And as we look at this, we're going to see some things. We're, we've been looking at the book of Exodus. It's one of five books, the first five books of the, of the, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that were penned at the hand of Moses but they were inspired by God to pen these words. So uh, some of these things that, that Moses wrote about, it's God bringing this to account to Moses and showing this is what he had done when he talked about the creation. But then the, some of this is what Moses was experiencing, and, and some of it's what Moses is passing on to the Israelites after they have been delivered from Egypt to show them this is who God has demonstrated himself to be. This is how God has devoted himself to you. This is how God has declared his word to you and why you must live in it. Now, over the last few weeks, as we've been looking at the book of Exodus, we've been kind of going through chapters by chapters in big swaths. But we looked at first uh, an introduction of what the book means, and I kind of just gave that to you. But we also looked at the oppression, the incredible oppression that the Israelites were facing as slaves in Egypt. And, and talked about how they were considered undesirable, how these people that were once privileged how now had become so numerous that people were trying to kill them as if it was no big deal. It was, it was, it was not a person. It was not a valuable human being. And we see the, the, the predicament that the people are in, but we also see God's plan, His providence coming to light, that He is not dismissing this. He is not pretending as if this is not a big deal. He is not washing those away or being passive as if He doesn't care. God sees the oppression, He knows, He hears their cries, and He's working in His plan to bring about His promises. We also talked about the revelation that God makes Himself known to Moses. And then when we talk about God being the Redeemer, it's important for us to know 
this Redeemer. It's important for us to see who He is, to know that He is good, that He is God, that He is trustworthy. And we talked about whenever Moses came to see the Lord as I am, as Yahweh, as the, the Lord, living God, it was a very close encounter. It wasn't something that God was trying to do from a distance saying, yeah, I'm going to stay over here, you stay over there, I don't really want to get close to you. No, he came very close to Moses and, and called him by name. And we talked about how he not only came very close, but he called Moses to a purpose that when God makes himself known, he doesn't do it just like, I'm just kind of doing this haphazardly, it, it doesn't really matter, it's not really going to be any value to your life. No, he has a calling. And then he clarifies what he's doing, that even though Moses suffered from incredible insufficiencies, just as we feel we do. I know I feel insufficient all the time. God was showing that even in your insufficiency, He is more than sufficient to help us accomplish His work. Last week we talked about the confrontation that happened and how all these things seemed stacked against Moses whenever he finally got around to getting back to Egypt at 80 years old. Now he's facing Pharaoh and things don't just go easy peasy. It doesn't just happen like, hey, God says let my people go and Pharaoh's like, oh, okay, sure, bye. You know, it's a fight. It's setting up. But God hasn't been like, well, that, I guess that didn't work. I guess we're done here. Moses, why don't you go back into the wilderness? No, God is setting up His plan to say, all right, I told you this was going to happen. This has not caught me by surprise, but don't worry. The confrontations that you may face in this world do not limit the conquering power of the Lord. So this week we're going to see how God demonstrates His conquering. And, and the, when we're looking at this sermon, our aim today is to, to set our target that we must see the demonstration of the Redeemer's display of truth, of grace, of justice and rescue. It's, it's, it's our goal. That's what we're looking at and how God provides this as the Redeemer. So how are we to observe this? How are we to look at this clearly? The first thing we need to notice in this moment, as we saw last week, is the belittling Pharaoh. That there are people that are going to belittle God's demonstration, God's power. They're going to say, oh, that's not a big deal. That doesn't matter. Or that's very weak. Or that's very limited. And Pharaoh, in this moment, when he is, when Moses and Aaron have gone to him, he's been very defiant. We talked about last week how people are defiant against God because, one, they may be ignorant. Now, no one likes being called ignorant. But ignorance can be a part of our life. In fact, we would, I would be the first to say, I was ignorant of God until someone made me know God. I was ignorant of those things. Just like I was ignorant of arithmetic until someone sat down and taught me that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I don't know what I don't know. I can't know what I don't know until someone helps me know what I don't know. And Moses is telling him that the Lord has done this. And, Mo, and, and Pharaoh is very defined. It's like, who is the Lord? There are 80 deities that were worshipped by the Egyptians. 80. That we know of. And so the Lord is just one of many to him. He, he may even know. He's like, I've got all these. I've got more than enough religiosity and spirituality for me. But not only is he ignorant of, of knowing who the Lord is, he's, he's insolent about it. He's, he's very defiant and saying, I don't want anybody to have control or authority over who I am or what I do or my rule or my power. I am the one in charge here. And then he takes that and goes into just this impudence where he's, he's putting forced labor on top of what the Israelites have already been facing. But here it happens again. This moment happens again. It happens again and again and again. And sometimes you wonder, how many chances can God give a person? I'm thankful it's more than one. You and I should be very, very thankful 
that even in the moments of our ignorance or insolence, or even when we go into defiance, that God has given grace upon grace. But it catches Moses off guard. Even though God had told Moses that you're going to face Pharaoh, you're going to speak to him, but his heart is going to be hardened, he's not going to listen to you. Moses, after this first encounter, there's no miracle working yet, he's like, God, you're sending me back to Pharaoh. I don't have the voice for this. I don't have the words for this. I'm not an eloquent speaker. What is it going to be like? And God says, I'm going to send you and Aaron. And and, and to to Pharaoh's eyes, it's going to be the work and make it look like you, you are personally with me. But you're going to be like a God to Pharaoh. By the time this is over with, it's going to be like he, you, Moses, are stronger than I am. And Aaron is going to be your spokesperson. This is what it's going to be like. But what has happened with this next encounter? The first encounter didn't go so well. In this moment, he goes back, and there's this miracle worked. Moses throws down the, Aaron throws down the staff that Moses had, and just as it was with Moses in the desert, when this, this staff turned into a snake, and then was picked back up, so it happens again. But this time, there's some magicians, there's some sorcerers, there's some people that do things with a sleight of hand, and uh, according to the Scripture, have experience in occultic practices. Now, we don't know if this was sleight of hand or if this is something demonic. But somehow, they were able to take staffs and turn them into three snakes. And so Pharaoh, seeing this, his heart is hardened. He becomes a person that belittles, first of all, God's messengers. It's like, these guys, you guys are discount wise men. You're discount magicians. You're discount sorcerers. What you've got is of little value to and then he, he discounts God's mission. He's so defiant, I'm not going to let the people go. Get out of here. You, you have no say here. And he discounts and belittles God's miracles. What are we to do when we observe that? I would say in a day and age that we live, sometimes when we see the belittling, we just kind of, all right, let me get myself in my little bubble. I'm going to wrap myself up in my blanket. I'm going to put on my um, 1990s Jesus music or maybe a little older and I'm just going to pretend like the world is good. Or at least my bubble is good and everything else is bad. I'm, I'm of no use now. But once again, these confrontations, they don't limit God. And God is able to work and bring about a demonstration even in the middle of it. And God was presenting a point. He has not only the, the demonstration that is going to happen in front of a belittling Pharaoh, but God has a bold point to make. We don't only observe that, that these things can be bad, but we can observe that God has something good. Verse 5 of chapter 7 says, The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. That is the bold point of it all. That even in this land where you were slaves, I'm going to make it known to you, Israelites, that I am the Lord. I have not forgotten you. But I'm also going to let the people of Egypt know I am the Lord. And they're going, to, they're going to be hard-hearted at first, but they're going to see it when I stretch out my hand against them. And I bring the Israelites from among them. You see, the bold point of this, all oh, this demonstration is bringing to the question, who is your God? Pharaoh and the people of Egypt had 40, I mean 80 plus deities. But God is going to show he is of infinite value beyond any false idol that there ever is. Anything that you would put your hope in that is false and little and of nothing, God is going to say, I am of greater value. 
I want the people of Egypt as well as the people of Israel to know that I am the Lord. And when he's saying I am the Lord, he says, I am saying the point is you need to understand I am the majestic one. That God has majesty. He has power. He has authority. That nothing usurps his throne. That nothing overcomes his position. The bold point of all that we're going to see ahead of us from God raising up a guy in the desert who was a shepherd who was 80 years old at the time to God delivering a people that were enslaved who by their counterparts were considered worthless and of no value and and able to be sentenced to death at a whim to a people that are hard in their heart and experienced in occultic practices. You're going to see a people that are delivered and complain and grumble You're going to see a people that stand before the mountain on fire and hear the voice of God. And they're like, we've heard enough. Please just send Moses and he'll write it down and we'll take the cliff notes. And then you're going to see a people that after all that, they end up making idols. And they go through these various trials where they'll spend the next 40 years wandering through the wilderness till they no longer live. It's just their children that, that used to inherit the promise. And you wonder, what's the point? If it's going to be that difficult, what's the point? So that generations will know I am the Lord. That's the point. So when we see these moments and we face the belittling, we're like, I don't want to deal with that. God says, I'm demonstrating a point here. You may have faced belittling. People may see you as my messenger and they may say, you don't have value in your words to me. They may hear about my mission and what you're trying to accomplish and they say, you know, I'll take the social help, but I don't want the gospel help. Or you'll hear people in the church say, we should just give the gospel help, but not the social help. And they'll discount God's plan, His mission, and, and, and then they'll see God doing miraculous things that we'll tend to forget. And then we'll say, well, what's the point of it all? If it's so hard, if it's so difficult, what's the point? That they will know I am the Lord. That's the whole gambit. That's the whole thing. And that being the Lord, He is majestic. He is enthroned above all thrones. And not only is He majestic, He is master of every domain. Master of every domain. He's going to stretch out His hand against Egypt. He's going to bring them out. He's going to redeem a people that that people were setting to death. He's going to rescue them. That nothing is beyond His mastery. That's the bold point. And how does He do this? He does this through His benevolent power. We're to notice and we observe this moment that there is a belittling Pharaoh and and there's a bold point God is making, but in it, we're going to see God's benevolent, benevolent power. How do we see that? Well, first, we've seen the miracle of the staff being turned into a snake. And people might think, well, that's a cheap parlor trick. Then you're going to move into cycles of miraculous plagues, strikings, smiting, if you will, that God is going to unleash on the people of Israel. But you're going to notice two things in, in all of these plagues. First of all, you're going to notice God's mercy. Because each time, Each time before these plagues come, there's a warning. Each time before these judgments are pronounced, there's this act of grace. If you would only yield, 
If you would only come to this moment of repentance and response, this next thing doesn't have to happen. That's God's mercy on display. He doesn't just go, well, I'm just going to unleash chaos and no one's going to know what's coming. He sets up warning after warning saying, this is what I'm going to bring about. And not only that, but he doesn't start with the hardest plague first. As you see God's mercy building, you're going to see some things that are going to happen. You're going to see first a cycle of what we would say distressful plagues. They're nuisances. They're difficult situations. But they're not something that is going to automatically devastate people for generations and generations. But then you're going to go from distressful plagues to what we would say are painful plagues. These are things that are costly. These are things that are going to hurt. These are things that are going to be more than inconvenience. And then you're going to move from painful plagues to those that are mournful. Those things that will bring you utterly to your knees in humility. And, and crying out to be relieved from the pain. Crying out because the, the, the effects will be left for generations. God does not start with the mournful first. How does that relate to us today? Some people are very, very concerned that God would ever have the audacity to send people to hell that do not turn to Him. But every day that you live until that day you face death is a day of mercy where God cries out His warning, His grace, and saying, I have provided a means of rescue if you would only yield. It's not my intention to send you there. That's your default. But I have a promise and I have a provision for you. That I'm not bringing the hard thing first. I didn't make you born and say, you know what? I'm just going to release the first plague on him. Send him to hell. That's not what God does. God provides us this warning. And He provides us His means to share it. We'll see in His benevolent power that God has two means here. First, the plagues Himself. And then second is Moses and Aaron. The means to deliver the news and saying, God's benevolent, kind, gracious immeasurable second chance, third chance, fourth chance, a limited chance kind of moment is coming. I shouldn't say a limited chance because there is a day of reckoning that will ultimately be faced where the chances are gone. But should I be able to try to count the number of chances that God gives us? I could never do it. The first plagues you see are rather tough for sure. The second are just painful and agonizing. The third set are mournful. I love what Warren Wiersbe, the pastor, said about this. He says, The longer sinners resist God's will and refuse to hear God's Word, the louder He has to speak to them through His judgment. See, God is so merciful that He wants to get it clearly that, that He is going to be known as God. And, and make no mistake, even those that die and it's, it's, it's incredibly sad and agonizing to think that people die and go to hell. But even those very people will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and they will bow the knee and know that He is the Lord. And they will know all the many means of mercy that was delivered to them before as God was seeking to get their attention. And yet they resisted. 
The first set is these distressful plagues. You see first the, the rushing of a red river. The, the Nile River turns to blood. This is, you see these distressful plagues in chapter 7, verses 14 through 8, 19. And, and you see these, this first cycle. There are three plagues. First is the Nile River. And, and I think about this, this moment of, of how God's trying to get people's attention. I'll try to go through these really, really quickly if I can. But in this moment, he's taking this symbol that the Egyptians, even today, it's their central source of life and well-being. If the Nile River does not flow, life does not happen there. It's desperately connected. If something happens to the river, they're in trouble. And here, the water, it turns red. It becomes blood. This is not to be think, thinking that it's just like red soil or red algae that happens. No, this is a, a blood that starts making the fish curdle up and dying. And it stinks and it reeks. And what was once a symbol of life for the, Egyptian, for the Egyptians becomes a symbol of death. What was once worshipped as a deity that gives life is now seen as the harbinger of death. And not only here, but everywhere that there was an open water source. If it was water in a container, that also turned red and with blood. And yes, the magicians, they were able to, to provide this, this imitation. They see this counterfeit and Pharaoh kind of washes it off. But the funny thing about the Egyptian magicians is, well, they can provide the counterfeit, but they can't provide the relief. They can provide a counterfeit for the first three plagues, the first three only. But they could not provide a relief. Mere imitation. I also think about this judgment, the very first one, how palpable it is. When we said about oppression, where was it they took the babies to die? They took the babies and gave their life over to death in their symbol of life. And now their symbol of life has become the very image of death. It's a brutal awakening. But after this week, Pharaoh asks for it to be removed. Moses and Aaron have it removed. Then you have a flood of frogs. Frogs were thought to be um, counted with the symbol of fertility that was going on. And now you have frogs everywhere. They're coming out of kitchen cabinets. They're jumping out of the bread box. They're in the, in the powder uh, jars everywhere. There's an invasion of frogs everywhere. The Egyptian magicians were able to procure some frogs by sleight of hand, but once again, they could not remove them. And then Pharaoh asked for Moses to remove them. And Moses does something very unique here. He says, you name the day and the hour. You name the time. I'll, I'll let you name it, Mo, uh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh perhaps wishing that the, maybe it would go away before it reached this deadline or, or something else would happen. He says, tomorrow morning, first thing in the morning. What happens with the frogs? They don't just run away. They die. Like that. Carcasses of frogs everywhere. Reeking, stinking. The Egyptians having to face scooping them up into piles and burning them. Of course, Pharaoh does not relent. So what is the next distressful plague? Some of your versions will say gnats. Some of it will say lice. Some people believe it might have been mosquitoes. But at this point, Moses provides the warning and he goes out to the desert and he strikes it and the dust flies up off the ground and all of a sudden what was dust burst into life. These little 
gnats, these little nuisances getting everywhere. At this point, the magicians are a little bit stupefied. They're able to make gnats, but they're saying, we're seeing the finger of God here. This is something beyond us. And that's the first cycle, this distressful place. Yes, they are distressful. Yes, they count a nuisance. But, but what could God do more than that? Just be a nuisance? No, God was going to make it costly. The next you see the fallout of the flies. They're everywhere bringing in flies. Whenever there's stuff on, they, they, if you see a lot of flies, it's, it's, in, it's pretty knowledgeable you're seeing disease and putridness coming up. And they're everywhere. They're on everything. All of a sudden, your, your food and, and everything that you have is unclean. It's not safe for eating and consumption. It's painful. Then you have the loss of livestock. All of a sudden, these, these livestock that are out in the fields, they just start dropping dead. Your livelihood. What you have to live on. But in these painful plagues, something unique starts happening. Moses tells Pharaoh, you're going to notice the distinguishment between God's people and God's provision and, and the judgment that's been coming upon you. There's going to be a distinction. You may not think it's fair, but it's God's way of showing justice and distinction in His holiness. You're going to see all this happen on your land. But if you go in the territory where the slaves dwell and see their livestock, they're not going to be touched. They're not facing this pain. Next, you see the blistering of boils that start coming up. And now the disease that's been on the food, now the livestock that's been dying and, and, and all over the land, now the people are starting to have these huge pus-filled boils all over their body. No one likes that image. I know. But that's what a boil is. It's gross. It's painful. It hurts. It made them so unclean that the priests that were worshiping in these other idols and these other false deities, they could not even enter their place of worship. They're feeling the costly nature of turning from the Lord. And at this point, when the boils start coming, the priests of these, these false deities start going to Pharaoh and they're like, all right, just let them go. Just, we, we can't take anymore. But Pharaoh does not relent. It moves on to the morning the mournful plagues where you see the hurling of hail from the sky and the launching of locusts that start eating up every crop. Once again, Goshen, the land of the Israelites, the territory where the slaves lived, untouched. You see the desperation of darkness, darkness that fell that was not just dust in the sky. It was as if the moon and the sun were blocked out completely. You ever been in a dark place where you can't see anything? And every one of these, these, these areas... That God is touching. It's not only a sense of His judgment, but it's also showing His incredible power over any of those false deities. And then the last one, the most brutal, that we would say, is the death of the firstborn. We're going to talk more about that next week. But you see the death of the firstborn. And we consider that so brutal. How could God ever dare? And yet sometimes we forget how could the Egyptians ever dare to have such a, a small view of the dignity of life? We, 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 some people will push back on God's judgment they see in the Bible, but, but they forget what was going on, how God saw this activity. And He says, this is heinous, this is atrocious. And I will not let be, myself be passive in the middle of it. So the last of the mournful plagues, that brutal one, is the death of the firstborn. Descendants wiped off. 
Why do we see all this? Once again, we go back to that bold point. We go to that big question. This demonstration of God's sheer awesome power, it points to His truth and His justice, His grace and His mercy. It points to His love and His deliverance and what He is able to do to bring rescue. But all of it begging the question, who is your God? Do you serve a God that is puny? That is passive? That is pitiful and pathetic in His ways of of demonstrating His power? And no, I did not purposely make that alliteration in that pointed moment. It just happened. But that wasn't the point. The point is, do we look at a God and say, Ah, He's not able to do that much. Ah, He doesn't expect that much. Ah, He doesn't demand that much. Ah, I, I, I don't need to know Him that much. Ah, His grace isn't available that much. Ah, His, his forgiveness it doesn't reach that much. Or do we look and say, God, I am astounded at the awesomeness of you being the Lord who does not act passively in this world, but who shows us the fullness of His grace, not only in the book of Exodus, by these means of mercy and and then deliverance, but ultimately when we look at this question of who is our God, we we can see belittling, but we bring us back to the bold point. And then we see God's benevolence, but it takes us, Ultimately, if we're talking about demonstration, to the beautiful picture. That beautiful picture that God, you believe and provide and promise redemption so much that you took it to the most nth degree that I could ever be imagined. When you said, I who am holy and see the offense of sin, I will send myself, my most loved son, and I will take that cross, that punishment. I will take the strike. I will take the blow. That's the demonstration. The book of Exodus paints a picture of God who redeems. And it sends us forward and saying, yes, He does. When we look at the cross and we see the cruelty of it, we also see the, the beautiful rescue that comes in that redemption and the resurrection. We see it painted a picture of a God who does not take sin lightly, who does not take His love lightly, who does not take justice lightly. And He incredibly demonstrates it for us. Also that we may respond. God is indeed gracious. And when He demonstrates His love, it's powerful. But we may we also be reminded that God has called us as His children, as those that bear His image, to carry that news. I think a lot of us would love to say, God, we just want to be in the background and see you work when God is saying, I'm calling you in the foreground and you're, I'm going to march before you. But you're going to be right there with me to display and share who I am, what I've done, so that my redemption may be known. May we never forget that the gospel, it came to us as it's meant to be going on to someone else. That we are carriers and bearers of His image just as Moses and Aaron were in that moment to say, We're not causing this, but we're the God who does immeasurable things. And we will not back down. We will not relent. We will do it in the way that God has declared. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, as as we come to the close of our time in your word for this moment, I pray it will move us to to study and and to know your word more closely through this week as, as we get to know who you are in a greater way 
a more personal way. I pray that not only it would lead us to, to know Your Word more, but it would lead us to follow Your will. That, that we wouldn't be people that are needing a louder and louder and louder demonstration to say, get up and follow after You. I mean, we trust that the way You've displayed who You are through what You've done and what You've said, God, it would, it would motivate us to say, God, You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of trust. You're worthy of obedience. And then lastly, God, I pray that as we see this, may it not only move us to develop a hunger for Your Word and a living out Your will, but God, I pray that for those in this room that have not seen Your way of salvation, Your way of deliverance, Your way of redemption, it would move them to trust and see that You ultimately fulfilled that through Jesus. That the strike and the blow that fell on the Egyptians, it's just as much was deserved to fall on us. But because of Jesus, it fell on You. And we can trust that what You've taken for us, we can receive as a gift of grace. We can receive redemption and salvation. And lastly, Jesus, may this time that we've spent together not only move us to hunger for Your Word and living out Your will and hearing about Your way, but God, Lead us on a walk that declares who you are to others. That just as we fill these boxes with a, a sense of urgency and a sense of ability to give and to pour into the life of another this week, that we would understand that that was not the, the end point of our mission this week. That you're launching us forward to carry that message to others, to be your means. Jesus, help us do that because it's only through your power demonstrated is that even available and possible. Help us follow in this time in Jesus' name. Amen.